0: Michael Gibson, he is the co-founder of the VC fund, the 1517 fund, which invests in young people, typically before they've gone to college.
1: How do you judge the competence of somebody who's young? Yeah, we learned a lot. Uh, Well, when we started the fellowship, we had an application a lot like colleges. Uh, We asked for test scores, GPA, what school you went to. And that was good at, at certainly signaling cognitive ability. But we quickly learned it was not a strong predictor of success out in the wild. Mm. Uh, And so we had to start looking for other things. There were even negative correlations that were surprising. Would you like to know more?
0: Hello. Today we are joined by Michael Gibson. He is the co-founder of the VC fund, the 1517 fund, which is a game changer in terms of venture capital investment, because they invest in young people, typically before they've gone to college, sometimes during. But he also wrote a book that I've enjoyed very much called Paper Belt on Fire, which I really encourage you to check out. But we're not going to be talking so much about the book today. We really want to get into Michael's work with the 1517 Fund, with how he spots young talent, with things he's learned from his investments and the people Mm -hmm. he's worked with and the people he's found through this fund. Because I mean, oh my gosh, the talent you're meeting, it's it's insane. So we're really excited to dive into this and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So- So the, the biggest thing that I'm really curious about, cause it's mm. been a while now, you know, you're like, you've been you've been doing this for years at this point and you've mm. done a lot of hustling. I mean, you're like sleeping on couches, staying up all night, going to these crazy <laughs> young person parties. I couldn't do this. You know, yeah. like young people stay up late and I'm like, my bedtime's at 8.30 oh my and god, you're I'm doing ready. these I like- went,
2: I, Sorry, I got to take a little detour here. So I went on this trip to, I don't know, somewhere in Central America with a bunch of Peter Thiel Fellowship kids and they, like, they went out. Like, I, I hadn't gone to a, a party, like a club in years. And I was like, maybe it's gotten better. Maybe it's yeah. not as bad as I remember. And I get there and I'm stuck there until 1.30 in the morning. And it's loud and it's sweaty and it's gross. And it was just as pointless as it always was. And, and you have to deal with this stuff, I think, professionally. So talk about how you get these yeah. young geniuses interested in working with what you guys right. are doing. How do you sell yourself to them?
1: Man, that well, that is certainly part of it. Yeah, it's funny. Is it's such a slippery, tough craft that we're constantly re-examining the foundations of what we do, and and one of the, I guess, two different problems that we constantly wrestle with, or or you know, we I guess we're trying to figure out which problem we're we're operating in. One is, if you are a fisherman, is it better to be in a well-stocked river or pond? So it's, you're one of those bears just grabbing salmon cause they're flying in your face where in this case, the fish are, you know, talented people <laughs> building startups, or is it better to focus on the craft of fishing, like being the best, you know, uh, it's like you could identify the one fish that's in the stagnant pond and, and find it and, and fish it out. You know, that's, so this is like the two problems we struggle with. We're like, okay, which one is it better to be? Is it better to find the location where just talented people are? and then figure out what they're working on or is it better to you know hone your skill pattern matching skill okay does this person have the right stuff and just you know go out there you know looking for that and so 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 that is a a trade-off or you know i can't i i guess i'm saying it's two problems it's just one problem which one are we in so to that end is yeah i've been in hacker houses i've lived in ecosystems and you know tried to go native to the extent that i can but now that i'm getting older i've I've lost the steps so maybe i I, like you said it's tough to to keep pace uh with a 21 year old
2: let's Um, talk about what a hacker house is because our our audience may not even know what this is and mm. and i think for young people who don't grow up or maybe live in like more rural environments Mm. it's useful to know that this other world exists that they can then move into which is a quick path to move up hacker houses are houses where near tech hubs, because it's often too expensive to have a house yourself, Hmm. a number of young people get together and put together a house. Now hacker houses have variable levels of prestige. And so you (laughs) wanna make sure you get into a prestigious hacker house, which typically means you're gonna wanna find someone in the hacker house ecosystem and ask them in the city you're planning to move to, Mm -hmm. typically San Francisco or New York, if you're moving into hacker houses or London, I suppose, which are the most prestigious hacker houses right now in this area. Uh, my brother and his wife actually ran a hacker house for a long time in Silicon Valley. Oh. House. It was one of the high high prestige ones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The icebreaker was probably the one that everyone knew about during that time period. Yes,
1: yeah. I. That was on the boat, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
2: so some people got so hacker houses are usually pretty weird. So they would mm-hmm. the icebreaker. What they did is they got an old icebreaker, like a Norwegian icebreaker, and they converted it into a, a house that was on the pier by uh, San Francisco and people yes, would have parties yeah. there and stuff. Can you talk about some of the more modern hacker houses you've seen, what they're like? Well, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I wish, uh, yeah, it'd be great if they had some intelligibility, meaning you could you know, find a list of hacker houses. You could find an ordering of, okay, here's what you get out of these. But I, it's, it's much more underground and not widely publicized. I, I guess you got to hear about them through word of mouth or some Reddit chat group or
2: <laughs> so, yeah.
1: something of that nature. Yeah, they come and go too. And, 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 and they're driven by the people who are managing them. There was one in, in the mission that we helped start called Mission Control, Mission of uh, San Francisco. That's and a great name. Yeah. What they yeah. didn't know, I guess, uh, God, it's funny. I think there's like a sex club or S&M shop called Mission Control. As well. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know that. But, uh, but for them, yeah, it was more about uh, these guys are all software engineers, that type of hacker. There were 10 people. Out of time living in the house. And sometimes people work at companies, sometimes they start companies. They tend to be very creative. They're they're almost like a studio, artist studio in a sense. Yeah. You know, some people are building things, some people are working, they change, they swap, they come in and out. So yeah, we 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 I, I know of a few in different places. We're starting to see more now. Like in, in, at the university, oh, they tend to also be associated with universities. Like it'll be a university town where you see these things pop up. And there were some students at the University of Michigan recently who started a, a house devoted to brain computer interfaces, that issue. So I thought that was cool because it wasn't just, you know, yeah, you know, like me today, I'm so San Francisco, I've got the, the hoodie <laughs> on. It, it was not the coding, you know, the code monkey <laughs> wearing a hoodie. It's They're actually working on some on hardcore science uh, which which is cool to see. So it's tough for me. i like I do want to know about these places because they can be gravity wells for talent. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they're not well advertised. So you got to hear about them through word of mouth.
2: And another thing that used to be a real gravity well for talent, I don't know if it still is, is maker spaces. Sure, yeah. I would also look up if you have a city. So they're called hacker spaces, mm-hmm. maker house spaces, or yeah. you can look for biohacker like labs, which yeah. in cities, which will have most of the equipment you need to do this sort of more advanced science stuff. And they're typically sort of like avant garde. Mm-hmm. The one that I was really into back in the day was a hacker dojo.
1: Um, yes, I was just going to say the Hacker Dojo. Yeah, uh, I used to hang
2: out there every every party, every week. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was really based, if you've ever seen the movie Hackers, like the nineteen, yeah. So it, I, I don't think that that movie was based on a real culture that exists. But I think it, generations <laughs> of nerds grew up with that movie. Yeah. And they basically recreated. A, a funny so thing funny. when you were mentioning about, oh, this is the name of like a sex place. I was like, <laughs> yeah, but a lot of hacker houses do have regular That's origins. true. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Sure. <laughs> yes. Well, uh-huh. they tend to be very countercultural. They have that. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Hackers. Was that the Angelina Jolie movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, well worth awesome. a watch. It is what, oh one of the things I love in movies about en- computer engineers is the always faced the problem of how to dramatize or visualize yes. what it is to work on yes. a computer. And that one was great because it was like, they're actually running through like a street of code or something. That's like a city. Yeah.
2: And Hacker Dojo, <laughs> by the way, for people who didn't know, so the old version of Hacker Dojo, there's like a new version that's really corporate and boring, but the yeah. old one, what they had bought was an old stained glass show factory because mm. it was where they were trying to sell stained glass. So like the whole thing was like weird oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. designed and like hanging platforms and everything. It was nuts. and big mechanical beasts that they get beat that they would take out to maker fairs and stuff. But okay, so next, tell me about the type of person that you're looking at. Because when you're talking Mm. to young people, how do you judge the competence of somebody who's young? And how do you know when they're like Mm. too arrogant? And can you give me any of the weird stories you've had dealing with these young geniuses?
1: Yeah, we learned a lot. uh, And I guess it is a lot like pattern recognition as it relates to, let's say, computer vision or deep learning in the sense of you have a data set and then your algorithm has to train on that there, you know, deep learning operates in a black box. So oftentimes it's, it's shooting out answers and and you can't figure out why it it, it arrived at that answer. Well, I think human expert intuition is quite similar because you're uh, building up a a algorithm across this data set. So what's our algorithm? Uh, Well, when we started the fellowship, we, Had an application, a lot like colleges. Uh, We asked for test scores, GPA, what school you went to. And that was good at at certainly signaling cognitive ability. But we quickly learned it was not a strong predictor of success out in the wild. Mm. Uh, And so we had to start looking for other things. There were even negative correlations that were surprising so one of them the funnier ones to me was like the winners of the intel science award tend, tended to fare poorly as entrepreneurs and and why well okay it's because to win those awards you have to be a good like esg salesperson you're not a um, innovator you know, it's just who who can you know signal the most virtue for a committee rather than actually build something so over time yeah we started to develop our rules of thumb Certainly the traits we look for can't guarantee success, but they, they became contributors to success. Like One of the weird esoteric ones is something we call insider-outsider. This is from Peter Thiel's work with Rene Girard. So Peter studied philosophy or literature with Rene Girard. He's a French literary theorist who became a bit of an anthropologist and historian. And Girard was obsessed with crowd dynamics, witch hunts, mobs. And scapegoats, and he has a a monograph on the scapegoat in which he canvasses the world mythologies and religions, and and examines all these episodes where the crowd picked a scapegoat and sacrificed them. Or, or, you know, sometimes what's interesting is that the hero is often a scapegoat who has resisted sacrifice. Hmm. And so, for Peter, this became a way of looking for founder a, a, a trait to look at for founders and people to hire. And what Girard found was like the people the, the crowd doesn't just pick a complete foreigner to sacrifice, because if there's a social crisis at hand and they need to blame someone, you can't just grab a foreigner who couldn't possibly have anything to do with it. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you can't pick the king's right hand man. You know, that's just too close to the <clears throat> center of things. So oftentimes that scapegoat is, is this boundary figure who somehow paradoxically is both an insider and an outsider. And you can mm. see this. I mean, think about Christ, you know, classic mm. scapegoat story is he's he's on the one hand Jewish preacher and on the other hand, you know, excommunicated by the Pharisees and so on. You can see this in the myth of Oedipus where or the the play Oedipus where, you know, Oedipus is he is he, he, there is a plague that is destroying the city and he, he sets out to discover its cause. He is the king. He thinks he was born in a foreign country. Actually, he turns out he was born in the city, but, but because he came from somewhere else, it's like he's both an insider and an outsider. So Peter looked at, the, you know, when he examines, when he's looking at Bounder uh, founder, so on, he's always looking for some kind of insider-outsider story. One easy, clear example is, let's say, immigrants so, mm. immigrants who come to the United States, there's a long tradition of creative immigrants in Silicon Valley who have done great things. And I think it's this insider outsider dimension where. On the one hand, they are U.S. citizens or green card holders, but on the other, they are outsiders. You know, they're new to the country. They might see things in different ways. Maybe I myself am an insider-outsider, and and I, I was working towards a Ph.D. I spent many, many years in grad school. I've seen the insides of the temple of academia, and 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 yet I I left. I I, I dropped out and became a heretic. So maybe that's you know possibly why Peter hired me. So, so that insider outsider thing is something we're, we're always looking for. And, and, and I like talking about it because it's just so weird because it comes from French literary theory. And then the other thing is, yeah, you got to have the, the know-how, the, the, the IQ and, and, and EQ to work with customers and co-founders and so on. But no one thinks about you know, that dimension. So that's why you know, I think it's worth meditating on.
0: What's well, really so interesting I, is
2: I, I... Go ahead, Malcolm. Well, I want to provide an alternate theory as to why insider outsiders do so well. Okay, I, okay great. What you're actually capturing with insider outsiders is to, to be an insider, to be a competent or move up within the inside mm. system. That's typically a measurement of just general, like EQ, IQ, everything like yeah, that. But obedience. to be an outsider, to be willing to outside yourself when you have already risen within a traditional power structure to any extent, mm. you have to have enormous initiative A willingness to take calculated risk, confidence in yourself, and belief that you understand something about the way the world is working that the insider system doesn't see yet. And so, you know, this is seen with immigrants, right? To be an immigrant, you have to have Mm. an enormous amount of individual initiative, individual belief in yourself, everything like that. Well, to be an immigrant was- It could be,
1: look, that could even be a genetic selection effect, right? I mean, one yeah. theory about the American frontier is that it was filled by people who had that risk-loving gene to just set out to the frontier and face nature yeah. or, and- Wallace We have another was...
2: episode on this called yeah. Genetic Vortexes. And we talk specifically mm-hmm. about Silicon Valley and we say it's probably mm-hmm. not a- surprise that silicon valley as we understand it started that venture capital started in the same area that people were coming to during the gold rush which was selecting specifically for high risk high reward focused individuals
1: right yeah and that, and that okay to move on to another trait we look for sometimes i call this edge control and which i take from skiing snowboarding motorcycle racing cuz there is a I, there look there's a there's a there's some amount of courage that's necessary to want to do something new and different, and and to challenge the status quo and majority opinion, but the the thing is, it's not just like an extreme sport though, where you jump out of the airplane once and and get that adrenaline thrill. It's an everyday, day after day. Are you prepared to you know negotiate that boundary between chaos and control on a daily mm-hmm. basis? And I think it takes a certain type of person to do it. It dawned on me that also that. You know, I say I I like edge because that signifies danger and risk. Control is okay, but you got to keep everything in order. And so, with the skiing example, you can't just go down a black diamond. Like the fastest skier doesn't win Olympics in two. Olympics. So there's some Italian phrase that's, you know, the best skier isn't the fastest skier because that person crashes and breaks a leg and has a career ending injury. So they don't get to participate in all the races they could have after that. So it's like the best skier is the one who goes as fast as possible Mm. while surviving. And I think there's something to that in startups where there's, there are people who, who push the edge of things, but not too much where they blow up the company. And on the other hand, they're not so conservative that they don't experiment or do anything at all.
2: So what I really love about what you just said, because it, it reminds me of something I've seen, and I've consistently seen this in people who end up being successful, is you don't want to be, gosh, what's the word? It's from the Family Guy episode of South Park. Okay. Seals are something pushing balls, right? Um, yeah. And they, okay. they stopped working whenever you would take a single idea ball out of the tank. And there's oh,
1: right, right, right. Yes. Oh, with manatees, with. right? The manatees. The yeah, the yeah manatees, you don't want to be a manatee, yeah. we say.
2: Um, because the manatees in this episode, they would stop coming up with ideas. They'd stop producing episodes the moment you took one idea ball out of the tank. (laughs) And yet the people who I find who I think represent... Uh, the, the highest likelihood of like actual success, especially when I'm talking about mm. young people, is they love surfing on the edge of controversial issues, but mm. they never go over the edge to the point where they would get canceled or anything like that. <laughs> okay, yeah, <right>. they really <laughs> understand the game that they're playing. And mm. I'm going to be honest, this is a game that we really like to play in our right. videos. I think people see it. Uh, a great example of an individual who's doing this more and more now, and I think we're going to see mm. great things for him in the future. He's actually... I think you guys identified him. He might have been a, a Teal fellow or he might have been something else. Mm. But it's the what if, alt oh, his guy. He runs another Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Family. Yeah, definitely. Uh, mm. He definitely is really good at getting right up next to how Clerks controversial he might be without ever going over the edge. And I think that that yeah. is a really good indicator of somebody... Mm has a like of living on the edge of it doesn't actually ever want to do real risk. And that's what's yeah. true. I think about good entrepreneurs, as it's been said, entrepreneurs are risk mitigators. They take an mm. idea that is big or something like that. And then they say, how can I mitigate all of the risk associated with right. this idea?
1: Yeah. They're, they're not just going straight down the mountain as fast as they can and crashing into yeah. a tree, right? There's yeah. a way to, cl- or to climb the wall. I don't know the analogy, but there's something where there's a plan You know, actually, one book I I recently I read this week just came out was the new Walter Isaacson biography of Elon Musk. Oh, I'm
0: in the middle of that. It's so fun.
1: God, it's great. Yeah, really fascinating. I love how you know Isaacson just had so much access to to Musk. So insane. Yeah, all the you just see Musk for everything he is at work and and in his personal life, which is wonderful. But, but there's this, I notice I guess in production meetings or some, you know, whenever they're discussing assembly lines, Elon Musk has this thing. He just calls the algorithm, these five steps about the processes. And one of them is, is to constantly delete unnecessary superfluous things. But how do you know if it's, if it's necessary? Well, you got to delete it. And if the thing's not working then you bring it back. Yeah, and, and if you're not and, adding
0: at least 10% back, you're not deleting Yeah, so enough. if you're
1: not adding 10% back, then you're not deleting enough. And that to me is a, a good example of like how to negotiate these boundaries of the known and the unknown. Is like you're going to have to go back and forth. And if you're not doing some amount of deleting and then bringing back, you're not doing it enough. And likewise, I think flirting with controversial ideas when you're getting up on the edge of these things it's like you're it's pro- it's so hard to maintain the balance and hit that edge so you're mm-hmm. like if you, sometimes you go a little too far sometimes you're coming back and you, uh. yeah,
2: the, the, the personal assistant story that's from elon musk right simone
0: what personal assistant story
2: he remembers the story, it was one billionaire anyway, where his personal mm. system was like, I want some more money, like I want equity. Oh, wealth. that was
0: from the 2015 biography of Elon Musk. Yes. no, oh, no, no. Where that's, that's not from old, the new it's the Ashley new. Vance.
2: <laughs> but it is it is a good example of what he's talking about, where they're like, yeah. I want some equity in, in the stuff you're doing. And he goes, Well, hmm. you do seem to provide a lot of value. Okay, let's try this. How about you stop working for me for a month and I see if I miss you. Oh and my you God, yes, again. <laughs> um,
0: Which is, It is smart, it is smart. And she also yeah. you know, didn't have a job when she came back. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. it, is, it is, I mean, I, I like that ruthless optimization. I also love this way of looking like these little weird correlatory details. It mm. oddly reminds me of autism diagnoses because yeah. there's like all the stuff that they do to diagnose people with autism. But then there are these right. like weird hints that like, oh, that's a sign. If a kid mm. lies on the floor, and they mm. like move a car back and forth, just and look at the wheels, and just do that for a long time. They're like, mm, that's a sign. Or if you <laughs> take off their shoes and they walk on their tiptoes, they're like, mm, that's a oh, sign. Oh, yeah, I've seen
1: the tiptoe thing. Tiptoe yeah.
0: walking. <laughs> and so it's it's like you have the mm. autism cues for brilliant talent. One thing I, mm. I worry about though, like with with talent, is there's there are many people that we even know of now, like who mm. who have grown up in our generation, yeah. who like were the wonderkind of their time. Yep. And then they they flamed out, like they, mm. they, they fell in a wrong direction. They, yeah. they just sort of got indulgent. They stopped working. Have you found any predictors for that grit that just keeps people working at it? Maybe, yeah. at it, maybe something else.
1: Yeah. I, I, th- th- that's the, one of the, the challenging things is uh, with the receiving applications and trying to judge people, I often use the metaphor that it's like fruit. you, starts off fresh and gets stale or rotten fast because you it's here's a snapshot and then maybe they change or do something else that can be positive or negative. So what we decided is we just, the best thing we can do is try to get to know people over time. Mm. And if we have multiple interactions with someone on some level, we'll get a better sense of, do they execute? Do they mm. push through? One thing we do at the 1517 at now is we give out one K grants to people. If someone says they want to mm-hmm. build a prototype, but they just need to buy some parts We'll kick them a thousand bucks. Oftentimes that turns into nothing, but what we get out of it is a chance to interact with someone over a short period of time. could be two months, three months. They get to work with us and that gives us more information about, okay, do they follow through with what they say they're going to do? Other than that, you have to rely on stories, but those can be, those are like college admissions essays. They all follow the same pattern. Oh, you know, I had this tragedy. I had this setback and then I dug within during the dark night of the soul. And, Came back and found the answer yeah so the, 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 those aren't as believable it's best if you can actually see over time which, which so is tough
2: some, some pattern recognition i've seen mm. from the group that we were in because i was mentioning mm. in the other interview we did that yeah. if you look at this old early ea less wrong mm. rationalist group many of them grew into very influential people in today's at least scientific mm. and economic ecosystem I think the biggest thing that I saw as a predictor, which really aligns with what you're saying, that they are going to spin out and do nothing even if they're known as very smart, Mm. is are they task-oriented with money that's given to them? If somebody gives them a lot of money and then they use it to write a Harry Potter fan fiction, (laughs) they're probably going to end up doing nothing with their life and just degrading AI research for an entire
1: generation. (laughs) But I don't don't mean to be too spicy here.
2: But what I'm saying is, I, I noticed this repeatedly is that some individuals when they would yeah. get money or when they would get leeway, they would, they would spend it on sort of not exactly what they had originally envisioned mm. while the people who were very task oriented, especially if they were willing to be task oriented on boring ish ideas, yeah. like it mm. might not be like, oh, I want to make shipping freight, right. you know, like marginally less expensive or something like that. Even if they didn't succeed with that project, mm. they typically eventually succeeded with something. That's a good,
1: that's a good point. I think one thing we noticed, too, was the people who could set their own goals and homeschoolers were best at this right away. They could mm. schedule their day. They could you know, move in and out of the world, make new friends out in the mm. in the real world. Whereas people who were even high achieving students at Ivy League schools, if since their whole life has been structured. For, for 16 years and they've received assignments and they've completed them well, it's a whole nother world to just step into, hey, what do I do with my day? I have no schedule. How do I organize this? And, and I saw some people get paralyzed because it, there was a transition period where they didn't know how to set their own schedule and goals or didn't feel comfortable doing it in the same way that a homeschooler would.
2: Do you feel homeschoolers are better? Like within your program, do they have an edge over the Harvard kids?
1: Yeah, we haven't done a, a, a count in a while, but but I do recall in the early days of the fellowship that the the homeschool or at least people who had some period of homeschooling. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just like the the full education, but you know, it could be two or three years, especially in the high school period. Those people uh, tended to be high performing. There there was a strong correlation there. Course, I don't know. Uh, we didn't look at all the homeschoolers in the world, so I don't know. Uh, but the ones who applied for sure were, were very strong candidates. That's
2: mm. so, so parents, homeschooling yeah. still has high marks for the people who are the world experts on judging.
1: Yeah. You. Well, I, you know, to go back to the point about courage and grit, mm. you know, schools don't teach that stuff. I don't, I don't, maybe we don't even know how to impart that. Like, how do you, how would you run a class on? Challenging the status quo and majority of opinion or disobedience. If you had a class on disobedience, the first lesson should be you don't show up, right? right. <laughs> yeah.
2: I love that. You get, the, you get you grade them based on whether or not they show up. Yeah, um,
1: you failed. You you, like, if you, you show failed. up, you, you let them know you failed.
2: So, I actually so one thing I'd love to close this, this particular interview with mm. is the craziest story of an entrepreneur or something like that that you encountered that only could have happened given the age of the people that you were interacting with.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, one thing the young have that's just a general advantage is that I've seen is that they have no big duties and obligations that older people accumulate like mortgages, pets, spouses and, and children. So that the 22 the year old who can just sleep on a couch and work night and day weekends that that you know gives a advantage of speed and hard work. So that's just independent of that. But in terms of let's see. Ooh, you know, some people I've worked with, I don't I, I think there's just also something to people don't want to admit this, but there's a biological life cycle to our creativity and our fluid intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the people I've met are certainly far ahead of the curve on on IQ and creativity. But they 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 have to accumulate some amount of knowledge in a field, but they still have fresh eyes when they come to it and they've got that speed of mind. And so they're able to, to see things that I guess, you know, more established people aren't aren't seeing. So, you know, the example of that could be Vitalik Buterin or Austin Russell. You know, they I don't want to say they discovered what they discovered because they were young, but certainly they had the energy and the fresh mind to see things that you know the more established people in their field weren't thinking about or or in the case of the blockchain I mean maybe there's something where younger people are willing to experiment more with weird stuff and think about it uh, that's very very strange but to back to the larger point I think it is true you, you look at the psychological research on uh, mm-hmm. achievement uh, especially as measured by things like in the arts it could be you know how many masterpieces someone has or in, in science, how many papers they publish and, and what papers win them, the Nobel Prize and all of that. And there's pretty clear, you know, there's a rise in the 20s and a peak in the, thir- in the 30s and then people taper off in, in middle age. And, and each field has different averages, but it's pretty constant that people are very productive in their youth. ways that they aren't later on and and i i'll just say i hate as a society that we don't admit this because (laughs) or (laughs) that we we wait
2: in his 20s you know yeah exactly in his 20s when he came up with all this yeah
1: In, in the same way that i guess it's like feminism told women you know they could have it all or or they could wait and then there's just this biological reality that it becomes harder and harder to have kids in your 30s and 40s so you know, I think it's a disservice to tell women that they can they can wait. They should really think about that. I think yeah. it should be something. Okay, they don't. I'm not saying everyone has to have kids, although I, it would be great if they did. But to, the um, but on the other hand, they should know. Hey, there's this window where um, this is possible, and you know, unless we invent new things, that it's something you have to reckon with.
2: Well, that's why we wrote all our books when we were still young. But yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I actually, there's a concept that we have brought up in, in some of our work before that hasn't been talked about in the mainstream mm. society, but I think it's a way that you can sort of test this. We mm. call it the concept of brain rot, and it seems to happen to some individuals as they get older, or mo- it seems to happen mm. to everyone eventually. But the core sign of it in an individual that we use to measure how much brain rot somebody has is in a social situation when they're interacting with you how much of the time or how many times do they bring up a self-narrative so people with a high degree of brain rot will constantly be in self-narrative loops like this is what i was doing or this is who i am or this is the type of person i am whereas people without brain rot are typically focused on efficacious ideas Huh. Like what's happening in society and how do I affect it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Huh, I'll have to pay attention more. I, I think, yeah, that's interesting, the brain rot. I th- This is part of the longevity research. I think no one is really mm. approaching enough or tackling or scratching out enough. Is Well, they don't want to. I mean, yeah. you, you should
2: know that we're pretty against life extension. And, and the- okay, yeah. It's an inevitability, not just of our biology, but of the way mm. that ideas sort of begin yeah, to... So, like
1: maybe we, we
0: think just- it's a feature, not a bug.
1: Yeah, that you just accumulate all these categories and concepts and frameworks, and then it's tough to once you're they're, they're set in at seventy, you're not you're so resistant to new concepts that. Well, and
0: you're also incentivized to crunch yourself in more power. You're not mm. as incentivized to redistribute to begin new. Yeah, onto on what you have, and you're going to resist anyone who's trying to change right. the world
2: order, so, and that would all- need that.
0: They also be
2: self-narratives that are important to them yeah. because if they're in this position of power, they need to constantly reiterate mm. self-narratives that reinforce this position of power they have.
1: Right. The yeah, so we, one counter example.
2: We've
0: counter-example met people, people. We've oh, people right. in their 20s who have brain rot. And yeah. we've met people who yeah, in their fair. 90s don't. Right. And I, I think that with aging, which is so underrated with mm. so many things, is just use it or lose it. Like it's shown yeah. with cognitive performance. It's shown with like mm-hmm. different like... Organs. I, don't think
2: it's it's true. I think it's that people who don't mm. have it aren't using it. And so you, anyway, the, Michael was going to say something.
1: Uh, oh, the, the one counterexample people bring up when it comes to productivity in late age is the mathematician Paul Erdos. He's this guy. He's like the Kevin Bacon. Uh, there are mathematicians with an Erdos number <laughs> where it's like how many... People are in the network. Are you away from a paper from Ardos or something? Apparently, that's way, funny. I forget exactly how it's the index works, but at any rate, he apparently was very productive into his 80s, maybe even his 90s. But what stands out about him is that he was fearless when it came to dropping a field in mathematics and then just moving to a new one late in life.
2: So mm. it's like he he
1: reached you know I guess he hit the point. He knew when when his mind was saturated in a particular topic. And then he just let it go. And he had beginner's mind all over again and something new. And so I think there, to the brain rot is like there's this clutching at identity, like you're known as this you know, string theorist or macroeconomist. And there's no way at 55, all of a sudden you're going to give up macroeconomics and suddenly start working in, in, in some other field where you'll have to be a beginner and suck again.
0: Yeah. Maybe this is also why parents are now so strongly dissuaded from saying anything about children's character. Like Mm. now everyone says, never say, oh, you're so smart. Just say, wow, you tried so hard. That was so clever what Mm. you did. Because Mm. if you have a child who starts to identify as smart, then they're more likely to not even try to do challenging things because the challenging thing might disprove their smartness. That's
1: right. There's a complacency and a a protectiveness that, that gets attached to that identity. Yeah. Um, that leads to ossification. Well so any right. sort of
0: like attachment to identity
2: is very dangerous.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but very much so. Mm. Well,
2: this conversation has been spectacular. <laughs> I'm so glad you joined us. I know. I,
1: we can keep going, going on, time flies. Yeah. My I understanding
2: think. of things a lot. I And it it, it it caused me to reflect on a lot of things mm-hmm. that I hadn't reflected on in terms of how we look for students and what we try to optimize for with our own kids.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the things that I'll leave with, I guess, is like talent identification is hard. It's something mm. we've been doing. But what I wish we knew more about was development is like back to that courage question. Okay, how could we uh, inculcate courage in, in young people? Because it just seems like it's really hard mm. to do and no one's doing it. Yeah, yeah
2: well, and and, and and to that end, if we have young viewers listening to this, you know, do look into local hacker spaces. Do you look into moving to yeah. a hacker house for a while? do look into reaching out to your heroes because they're often a lot more receptive than you would imagine. And it's a good way, you know, it, it, it is this sort of immigrant mindset, which is, mm. okay, this thing is crazy and would change everything for me, but I'm going to go out and do it. And I would encourage, because I think sometimes you grow up in an environment where you don't even realize that's an option. And then, mm. it's like, you know, you could just email them. Uh, you could you could just move to San Francisco uh, yeah. if if you actually are competent. You will start being invited right. to these parties very quickly. Absolutely, yeah. And if you're a, lot, not a lot of
1: on ramps in San Francisco in cities that yeah. in other cities don't have, like as as great as Austin and Miami are. I think they lack a lot of the on ramps that San Francisco has. Like that, no, nobody maps. goes to Miami no, thinking no, I'm going to work great.
0: hard and build my future. <laughs>
2: I, I want to be clear, it doesn't have as many on ramps as it used to. Now, most of the mm. on ramps I've seen to this cultural group are actually online on ramps, like yes. small Discord threads of like nerds and stuff. Mm. That is where I see the actual on ramps occurring. But it is, yep. it used to be that San Francisco was where you would go to do this. Yep. Yep. Anyway, well, but, uh,
1: enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. I that.
2: loved it too. And let's <laughs> hope San Francisco can ascend from its desiccated Mm. state right now i don't know if it ever will but it might
1: well we can only hope let us pray yes
0: oh michael thank you so much and everyone please make sure you check out 1517.com and also paperbell on fire oh and you're also on twitter but you're not michael gibson you are william (laughs) underscore blake so check him out on twitter as well (laughs) right thanks bye